0: Judy, what are you drinking? Not tea. Excellent. So that's a successful show. We're done. Thanks, everybody.
1: Yes. Thank you for being there for that, Connie. (laughs) Um, I'm drinking the drink that I meant to drink for Craig's special episode last week. Elysian Avatar Jasmine IPA. And um, it is by Elysian Brewing Company. Um, which operates three brew pubs in the city of Seattle and has won large brew pub and brewmaster of the year, three times at the great American beer festival in Denver East meets West coast with a unique floral aroma and a smooth dose of hops. Avatar is an excellent beer for pairing with food.
0: <coughs> okay,
1: <laughs> It's, it's tasty beer. I've only had a few sips here, but um, a little bit heavier than you would expect for an IPA. Um, I'm, this could be dinner as far as I'm concerned. It would have been, it, it would have gone really, really well with the white pizza that I had for dinner. But, um,
0: that's gone now. All righty then.
1: What are you drinking?
0: I am drinking a extremely no name as in literally no name, uh, barley wine, actually. Um, are, are I you
1: light lime and you just don't n- want to no, sell it? no.
0: If I ever do that, you can, um, find a new host. I, please. No, I, I, this is a, it's a barley wine that, um, a guy I play soccer with actually brewed and I took home like, I don't know, three or four bottles sometime last. She's like May or something. And I haven't tapped them all. And I was like, Oh, maybe I'll have one of those this evening. And I was hoping it wouldn't be spoiled or flat or anything. And it's not, but I had some bullet rye as a backup and I may still have some of that as well. But it's a it's very good. It's a, it's a, it's a homebrew barley wine and it's very strong and um very smooth.
1: Nice. I don't think I've ever had barley wine.
0: You should try some.
1: Well, maybe your friend should send me some cuz it sounds like that's the one they have. Cuz you know, you recommend it.
0: <laughs> it is quite tasty. Cool. So we have a another you, Another very special guest. We've been incredibly lucky. I I don't know how we've managed to pull this off, but uh it's pretty cool. Um the e learning coach is with us tonight. Connie? AK she is? She I think so.
1: Give <laughs> oh. <laughs> her autograph. We,
0: we, we have a we have a we have a mind map with her name on it, so I hope I sure as I hope you're on <laughs>
1: And it has the title, Connie's Show.
0: Right, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) How you doing, Connie?
2: I am doing fine. I'm waiting for the question.
0: What are you drinking?
2: I'm drinking Premium Artisan Craft
1: H2O. Oh, wow. She's a clean liver, this one. Do you want to hear the description?
0: I do. I do.
1: (laughs) This...
2: This spring water was explosively created by attaching two delectable hydrogen atoms onto one oxygen atom. The tasty blend of this natural drink was drawn from glacier, river, and liquid aquifer sources. Its complex array of natural flavors combined into a sublime, taste-defying experience.
0: Wow. That is the best description of water I have ever heard. That, that might even beat all the beer descriptions we've read so far. This,
1: well, this I mean, definitely today's. I mean, this is a really good beer, but seriously, an excellent beer for pairing with food. Um, I mean... <laughs> all right. Connie wins. Yeah, Connie's description definitely wins. Okay. So... um
0: Is that it. That's that's. right a... I had to make,
1: <laughs> my, make a cough. I'm oh, okay. Still a little right. bit, so No problem. Um, so, um, Connie, yes, we, we got into kind of an interesting discussion this week. Thank you very much for being here. It's an honor to have you here. Um, and we've we've been sort of talking as. A, as the whole thing has progressed for quite a while now actually about having you on the show and 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 some a few ideas have come out <clears throat> i was telling brian a couple of episodes ago that like i think that the really obvious thing um would be for um that people that expect you to talk about visual design a lot of people really associate that with you mm-hmm. but you've been also blogging about a lot of things that I think are really interesting that don't have as much to do with that. Um, so, is there is there something from our conversation that you wanted to start with, or I can start us off, or um, perhaps someone from the internet has given us a place to start? I don't know, Brian. I don't have checked, but
0: uh, we have um, very little. Interaction. <laughs> Apparently, the, the Twitter sphere and the internets do not like mailbags.
1: Okay, yeah. that's fine. Um, but anyway, that's. Um, did you have a place from our conversations that you thought, oh, we really have to hit that topic, or this is note box that you're already on today, or anything like that? Well, um,
2: first of all, I did want to say that I believe I was your first fan of this show, so I just
1: want to make that clear. Okay. No way! Well, <laughs> great. That very well could be, except for you know my mom or something like. That. Okay, well
2: we had so we, so, had to, so so many, we can call Connie
0: listener number one. Ooh. Or listener zero. Listener zero.
1: <laughs>
0: is that like, oh, thanks. Is that like thanks. suspect zero
1: or something? Exact. Well, employee zero. I'm thinking about the Steve Jobs thing. Never mind. Um, but yeah that's, that's, oh, yeah, that's
2: yeah, yeah. That's, I get it.
1: Um and anyway, what I was going to say
2: was uh, the whole idea of design thinking and creativity that we've been talking about off and on, you know, since maybe the last conference where I saw you, is, is kind of fascinating because it's kind of like a, a, a mystery box. It's like a black box. People, they don't teach it in instructional design programs. They don't talk about it very much. And... We were talking about you know blowing the lid off of it and bringing it more into everyone's awareness, uh, and I, I think that's a great thing to do. Very cool, because so, you're just
1: supposed to start designing, you know, that go design, <laughs> right? Right. right. Um, yeah, you know, be sure to follow Addy and whatever. If there's any kind of process, that's what tends to be taught, and even um, this is this is really really reprehensible but um that's even dictated in job descriptions like i haven't checked job descriptions for graphic designers or architects or whatever lately but i can't even imagine that they say follows this methodology or anything like that you know what i'm saying
0: right Mm,
1: whereas I have over the last year seen some job descriptions in instructional design or, well, last few years. I'm kind of have made a lot of transitions over the last few years. Um, and a lot of them not only specify, um, you know, must be familiar with or must do, do such and such using Addy methodology or whatever, and also using these tools, using Captivate, using Lectora, whatever. Um, and I think That it really is just whoever's writing the job description, whether it's the hiring manager, you know, the HR person, the manager or whatever. They aren't instructional designers. They don't really know what instructional designers do. Maybe it's the first instructional design position in the company. Who knows? But they've gone to some organization or to an existing instructional designer and said, you know, what are the words that we use to describe what instructional designers do? You know, and I Cami again would probably have a field day with this because, you know, how do you describe what you do is another another thing that she she, ch- you know, chews on a lot. Um, and, um, yeah, anyway, so and, and then that's what ends up in the job description. But, you know, again, it seems to me like this very sort of corporate BS sort of thing that I get very turned off by job descriptions that do that. <laughs> guys- well, it's <laughs> Look for it- you guys don't jobs anymore, you know, you're you're, you're not in that, in that space, but yeah, that's... Actually, I try to help people find jobs, so I do read the
2: descriptions, and I definitely see that. But it's so interesting because the S in of systems design, you know, instructional systems design has slowly, over the years, completely evaporated away, and I think that's really significant. You almost never hear it called ISD anymore, and that's why... Uh, that's why I think they're asking people for to follow a system because that's how it's 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 an outdated approach in some ways, and that's what people are you know thinking about that that engineering mindset that, mm-hmm. that we're developing entire systems. Not that I don't think you don't need a process to do instructional design, but it's not there's not just one process. There it depends on what you're doing. Exactly, that,
0: exactly, it depends on what you're doing. That's that may be the show title. Seriously,
1: (laughs) that's two titles.
0: (laughs) At least,
1: at least we're thinking about it this time, as opposed to the last show where we kind of listened to it a few times
0: and then. Well, I I think it's. I think it. To me, it's. It's just the idea of, and this is me not coming from a strong ISD background or ID background. I mean, I went to school for performance improvement technologies. So I learned, I actually started with the ropes model, um, Ruth Clark Mm. and that, you know, different ways to teach procedures versus processes and stuff like that, which was pretty practical actually. And yeah, that's good. Um, then Addy kind of came around, at least I was aware of it towards the end of my, um, education. And I really didn't, you know, it wasn't like I had to adopt it to pass or anything like that. Um, but, none of them were ever like perfect for anything. And then when I got to um, uh, another job later on, then it was a lot of performance consulting, you know, training Rumbler stuff and then six boxes. And, and there was before that there was, uh, it was just all, all kinds of models. Right. But, but mm-hmm. then, and you know, you were expected to apply to, to use a model for every solution or use the same model. This is what we use now. And I'm like, what, what the hell does that mean? There's no way. that's <laughs> That that doesn't make any sense. I mean, you, you can't just take, you know, have a problem or have an issue over here and then say, oh, we're just going to apply this Rumler model to it and it's going to be all fixed and everybody's going to be happy and make lots of money yeah. and widgets and stuff. And I mean, that, yeah. that shit doesn't happen. Yeah.
1: Right. <laughs> well, and... Probably one of the problems that I've always had with that kind of thinking is not only that, but the particular models that are used, like, for example, right now I'm studying for my CPLP, please, no, no jeers here, Um, but I, I, you knew this, shut up, Brian, Um, but all, you know, you learn more about models. I learned a few that I hadn't learned in grad school because there are hundreds of them, by the way. Not because mm-hmm. it's more extensive than grad school, just because those are the ones they picked. Um, but um, but they're all project management models. There's it's there's mm-hmm. nothing in there about creativity. They're they're all about project management, which just means that they're different. Um, different approaches to Addy or, you know, a little bit of reshuffling different boxes and arrows drawn. Um, But what we really wanted to talk about is more approaches to um, problem solving and creativity and such. Um,
2: Yes. And that's what mm -hmm. a lot of people don't realize that. um, I think a lot of people think of creativity as, uh, you know, expressing yourself. But Mm -hmm. when you're in the working world, Creativity is related to solving problems. Totally, I I, I totally. Is that the art?
1: Is that the art versus design thing for you? Because you have completely encapsulated what what the difference is to me.
2: Well, it's not that I think that they're opposites or anything. And artists need to be creative too. But yes, I think Mm -hmm. that art is for self-expression. I teach a visual design workshop once in a while, and you know, I I compare art to um, visual design. You know, to design. And and in instructional design, we do a lot more than just visual design. We have to come up with all kinds of designs. That's a whole other part of the conversation. But yeah, um, art is not necessarily trying to communicate a message as clearly as possible. So not mm-hmm. only is it expression, but it, it, it's, a, it's a certain type of communication. And I think it's actually, I mean, it's a certain type of like you, you you're trying to get a message across maybe yes maybe not maybe you want it to be obtuse but in the world of work we're trying to communicate a message as clearly as possible and Mm -hmm. and we're not trying i know you mentioned something about uh how creative should we be you know we don't want to be so creative that people aren't getting it you know because it's not really about us right
1: it's only about the audience I um I was reading through some of your old blog posts today and I saw the one that was, if the world was run by instructional designers um, and somehow I missed that in the last couple of years and it just made me laugh out loud with the like, it, you were talking about how everything should be as clear as it, do you remember this blog post oh, at yes. all? Oh uh, yes, okay. uh, writing the funny ones is the most fun of all. <laughs> I, I was laughing I, I think that probably there was a little bit of tongue-in-cheekness there am I correct? Of course Yeah but there was the, the something like it was showed an airplane with like nose cone here pilot goes in here you know and we yeah we always do try for that clarity but you know do, do you think that sometimes that means that we're doing too much work for the learner and they don't build the correct structures or they don't, um, build up the correct muscles that they need to actually (laughs) do the learning and, and create better performance. I have seen that conversation going around and
2: for so, so many things, the answer is it depends. It depends who your learners are. I mean, I've been Mm -hmm. amazed at how some extremely intelligent learners that I've created, uh, courses for, you know, say they don't know, you know, they don't know to click next or something like that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So it just really depends on how sophisticated your audience is, I think. Uh, yeah. I mean, so, so often there's just no one rule. That's what I think. Right. <laughs> it depends.
0: <laughs> no, it absolutely depends. And it's why way you have to know your audience. And uh, I think that's what a lot of times people don't take the time to do in, in this industry
1: it's one of my soapboxes. <laughs> well, you know, I'll go ahead. This is really good beer. I just had to inter- I have drunk already like half of um a largish bottle. Um where are um yeah, this is this, this, let's not have a repeat of episode one, but I'm just saying really
0: I'm gonna
2: <laughs> You know, this spring water, I, I should warn you, I will be pretty tipsy from this spring water by the end, so I just want to warn. I'm going two of
1: water myself.
0: Well, with that kind of a description, I would think it would be pretty uh, pretty strong as well.
1: I have such a, such a stunning visualization of the two hydrogen atoms slamming the, onto the oxygen atom. All right. <laughs> All
2: right. Uh, anyway, I think one of the big... One of my big, uh, I mean, I really like to help instruction designers. That's my thing. I feel like I like to serve them and help them. And I think one of the things, I mean, you know, and all the learning experience designers, learning architects, strategists, people who do sol- find solutions. One of the things I think that are that's a really big hang-up is people think that they're not creative. That's a, That's a really big problem. And all the research shows that everyone is, you know, of course some people, might be more in touch with their creativity, but that everyone is creative. And I just think it's really important for people to start uh, changing the, the messages that they give themselves and to really think of themselves as creative people. You know, there are all those techniques. There's, I mean, there are probably 40 techniques, maybe 100 for, you know, tr- getting more creative ideas.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So do you think there, there's the lack of confidence in in creative creativity or lack of understanding that you are that someone is creative is because it's not artistic creativity
2: I think that's some of it I think if if someone isn't a musician or a visual artist you know that's one reason they think it I I think that it's the fault of the school system usually mm-hmm. you know usually kind of you don't get much uh, that that much reward in a classroom you know creativity isn't um promoted that much i mean maybe
1: it is now but no it's not (laughs) i think it's probably (laughs) even less i mean you don't have a lot of school systems don't have art class anymore you know that kind of thing or music class the arts are really not well taught anymore i mean not this is not denigrating art teachers that's not what i meant but they're not well funded anymore
0: well and and given Go. I was gonna say, just given your just you know scripture creativity. Even if the schools have, um, you know, art and music classes, that may not be the type of creativity that someone has, and therefore it's it's. That's
1: a good point. Shattered. Yeah, that's. I totally just fell back into that that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, creativity is. Yeah. Um, you know, and and truthfully, when I think about my own school experience, I don't know that those were necessarily the kinds of the the classes that rewarded creativity the most. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's just what you said, but you know, my, yeah, those, those weren't necessarily, at least not where my creativity was rewarded the most. Maybe those just weren't my strengths. I don't know. I mean those weren't the the kinds of places where I felt most creative.
2: Yeah. Can you imagine a teacher instead of always going, I mean, maybe they do this now, you know, and it depends on the teacher in the school, you know, but instead of just always asking for one right answer, asking kids to come up with solutions to problems you know you see videos about that so maybe some teachers you know are, are able to do that now you, you ask children to you know look at an object and see how many different ways they could use it or let little groups come together and solve a problem I mean that's that's the kind of creativity I'm talking about mm-hmm. and that there's not always one right answer And that's why I saw some research that showed that brainstorming alone first is actually better than brainstorming in groups because people are scared to look stupid and to come up with silly ideas. And sometimes that's what you have to do. You have to be willing to come up with like ideas, just generate random, you know, as many ideas as you can. And sometimes people are more comfortable doing that alone and then bringing those, you know, to a group, bringing the best one.
0: Yeah, I think that's actually, yeah, that's really good because I think there's lots of, you know, uh, Seth Godin's written recently about the how, you know, ideas in a group environment get shot down and how creativity is very, very hindered in a group brainstorming session. Um, and then providing some kind of way for there's some kind of anonymity or something like that to where those crazy ideas, the ones that are way out there are allowed to be discussed without any kind of repercussion or any kind of, you know, uh, I don't know, bad attitude towards it or anything like that.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. And how many workplaces do that? I don't know. But do you guys know about the divergent thinking and convergent thinking part of creativity? Or are you, do you think anyone would be interested in that? Yes. yes.
1: Rocket. Yes.
2: Well, so the divergent thinking part is the part that we always think of as creativity, right? It's the part where you're just generating all kinds of ideas. And then the c- convergent part is where you start judging the ideas. And in our world, in the world of work, creativity has to be useful and valuable. Mm-hmm. It's not just there to express ourselves. So you need both halves. And, but when you're in the divergent part, you know, just like they say, don't judge during brainstorming. And there are many, there are a lot of books um, that Will give you ideas for how to k- generate more and more ideas, but it's that idea generation that, without getting shot down, that people need more of.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And then the then the convergent part is, you know, which ones really have value, and it's just looking at it as though which ones have value. It's not um, so you can. It's not, It shouldn't be judgmental, or it's not about the person. And that's. There's so many divergent thinking. Uh, I mean, little exercises you can do. But you know, I have a book that I wanted to recommend. It's. It's, it's geared towards graphic design, but it's good uh, in general. It's called Graphic Design Thinking Beyond Brainstorming, and it's edited by Ellen Lupton. She's a. Uh, a graphic design uh, professor or instructor. And she edited this book, and I think she came up, got ideas from students and faculty. So that's a good book for people. You know, it has all kinds of good ideas for um, coming, generating creative ideas. Very cool. We'll link that up
1: for people.
0: Okay. You know, when you talk about the that con, you know the divergent convergent thing, I think of I immediately think of a company like IDEO that yep. you know where they're completely thinking outside the box. They actually team up in order to challenge each other to come up with crazier and crazier ideas on something like the, I mean, one of the videos I saw was on the grocery cart redesign. So that one was really impressive to me because they actually had, I don't know, there's like 30 something people in there, all kinds of different, different (laughs) roles. Right. And they split up into four or five teams. And then those teams were, were basically tasked with coming up with the wildest craziest ideas that they could possibly come up with. And with no, you know no risk no penalty and that and that culture there is very open to that right so they're very aware that hey this is the idea this is the the time to come up with those crazy ideas and then they all came back together and talked talked through which ones could actually be feasible which ones were actually practical or um you know could be developed and I, like that i mean that's a you know pretty far out there you know idea not not necessarily specifically tied to something like instructional design but when it comes to problem solving, which is what instructional design is supposed it's to totally be tied doing. to instructional design. Right. Well, it depends on who you talk to, but, <laughs> but but it it it's like why don't we do more of that across the board? I mean, it, it's it's that type of it's just not. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why we don't. And it's just it's not the way to do things. It's not. It's not in a model. That's for sure.
2: I think it's just because we come from a systems design. Um, heritage and we're just now, you know, by talking about it and becoming more aware of it and bringing it into consciousness we're trying to, you know, push ourselves into more uh, of a design thinking mentality. And, you know, one of the things in that article I I had written was instead of analysis, well, I mean, we do need to do analysis, but we can also think of it in terms of research. And when I first read the idea of research, I just loved it. I mean, I didn't come up with this idea. It's, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, design thinking is somewhat new, really. I mean, the way it's, you know, everyone's talking about it, you know, maybe, maybe for five, 10 years. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't. I have no idea when it really started, but, I mean, where it's become popular, where businesses are using it. So the first stage, just like they did in that in that IDEO video, they uh, – I believe they did this. Didn't they go out and do a whole lot of research about shopping carts?
0: Yeah, yeah, They and they did a bunch of, uh, you know, like uh, consumer research and stuff too, I think.
2: So that's what we're doing. When we go out and talk to audience members, target audience members, we're not really analyzing. And when like, we're looking people, up the content and when we're – What's that
0: people do that <laughs>
2: uh-huh. um, once in a while, or even if you even if you're not allowed to do that, I've had clients where you're just not allowed to talk to the target audience members, so you just sit there and try to imagine what their job is like, and maybe do research about you know what is that job like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and And the whole thing about empathy that's part of this whole research you, you have empathy for the users where you really try to get into their mind frame and think you know oh is is this what it's like to have that job you know yeah
1: what
2: are mm-hmm. your challenges it's really research then later on it seems like when you get all the data and information then you kind of analyze it but uh starting out with research is just a really cool approach i think a, a good a good mind frame or a yeah. frame of mind see this water's really getting to me <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know you should try tea sometime it's it's if when you feel like moving up to the stronger stuff. Gee, um,
2: oh my god, I don't think I don't think I could do that. <laughs> um,
1: I've been listening to a podcast called "Let's Make Mistakes." Wow. Um <clears throat> it's a great title, isn't it? Yeah, um, and I'm
2: such a podcast
1: donkey. <laughs> it's, it's... So. This is on on Mule Radio. I believe that it was the first podcast on Mule Radio. And, um, you know, we love our podcasting networks. um, But Mule Radio has a lot of really cool podcasts. And um, it's Mike Montero and... Um, I think it's generally whoever is like the research person, research specialist in his office. Um, He's a big graphic designer and web designer in San Francisco. Um, But because that's, you know, the co-host, they talk a lot about that kind of stuff and talk about things like, you know, research periods that last for weeks. And I think about things like, you know, sometimes you get told to build a course and I do mean get told to build a course and that whole process is a couple of weeks. Um, or, you know, did somebody say something? Okay. Um, and, and so, and in fact, there was, um, recently they, um, uh, he, he got a new podcast host, I guess the, the, the position changed and off. I'd love to see that job description. Apparently podcast co-host is part of the job description (laughs) or something. Um, but anyway, um, so she had been doing, she had been doing, uh, she had been in a research position, but like at a university, she has a doctorate in psychology or something. And, um, so research periods would be like 18 months. So she even thought that, you know, researching your audience for a couple of weeks was like way like, (laughs) crazy fast. Um, And I think I would hazard a guess that sometimes it doesn't happen at all. doesn't even cross the designer's mind at all. um, As opposed to, you know, spending a couple of weeks on it. Or you know, you wouldn't spend 18 months for, for an instructional design project, but that was you know that's in a totally different context. But it's really interesting to hear that kind of perspective sometime. And they talk a lot about you know d- you know designing, which is thinking about users. And so um, just throw that out there. It's a it's a good podcast, and I enjoy it. I've been. Okay. I've been putting the the podcasting app on my iPhone to to work uh recently which most of the time it's absolutely useless by the way Brian I don't know and Connie if you're a podcasting junkie I don't know if you tried this but it's total like it's not good but it's not very performant did I make up that word it doesn't you guys matter. know what I mean okay I like that. but I'm anyway um it. yeah but but it's when it works it's pretty good and um anyway that's nothing to do with the quality of the podcast, but that's a good one that I like.
2: Okay, that's good to know. I like uh, sometimes I like not not every episode, but I like I do this one. I enjoy every episode, but uh, the accidental creative,
1: the accidental <laughs> creative. Yeah, we're going to link up all this. It's oh, a book cool. and
2: a podcast. People might be interested in that. It's about people. Uh, as his slogan is something like "How to be brilliant." Uh, at a moment's notice. <laughs> nice. nice. <laughs> Couldn't we all use that? I mean, I think the other thing people might not realize or some people might not realize is, you know, we all get stuck. I mean, I will bang my head against the wall <laughs> for days sometimes, you know, and just mm-hmm. not be happy. I mean, of course, I make, you know, not every, uh, everything I do is fantastic at all. But when I really am trying to do something great, you know, it can take a long time to come up with a great idea. And I think people should realize that that it's not always easy. You know that everyone struggles with it.
1: That it's not making widgets. You right. know that's, that's sometimes what I think. You know, we talked a little bit about touching on like barriers to creativity, and I think mm-hmm. that that's one of the problems that we are we are designers. This is very creative work. Um, the context in which we work is generally not i mean in in many cases you know kind of corporate america fluorescent lights and and all that and um and sometimes for people who do not get the creative process and sometimes often i think we don't understand the creative process if there is such a thing in terms of the creative process we don't understand that ourselves and don't understand that uh, we need to give ourselves x y and z whether it's you know time um space a different space you know l- less stress whatever fewer constraints more constraints whatever <laughs> up with good I, oh i'm sorry i just got a text message i going to turn that off
0: yeah <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. Cut, you
1: cut out then right
0: that's uh through. that's uh appropriate show etiquette
1: turning like, off their duty yeah and i uh, uh, Remember to start Audacity and record my backup this time,
0: which is an improvement over. Hey, by like episode twenty or like thirty, you know, you'll you'll be, yeah, you'll be in good shape.
2: One of the main things uh, that. I think can help people well, besides, you know, um, walking around and getting out of the office, I know that's hard for people to do. And I know a lot of times people cannot go work in a coffee shop. I just can't believe how much that helps me focus the white noise and everything, but also sketching. I think every instructional designer, it would help us all to have a nice big sketchbook and you don't have to show anyone your sketches. All you have to do is draw geometric shapes and stick figures, but the way it works for me is just picking up a sharp pencil. It has to be sharp. And just starting to – even if it's doodle, it like kind of opens up another area of your brain is what it feels like to me. And it can help you come up with good ideas. Sometimes you don't even have to sketch that much before you're you know, automatically coming up with new ideas.
1: It's just sort of – I like how you said that Have sort of opens up different ideas, different areas of your brain. By the way, I liked your recent podcast or – um, blog post. Thanks. And I don't have it. don't even have one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm your number zero fan. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, I was just, uh, catching up on that today actually. And, um, really, really liked. I, in fact, it's very, it, it's very appropriate for me right now because I am in a little bit of a creative sort of funk. Um, and the one I'm talking about is five proven strategies to improve creativity. And, um, you know, there are a lot of things like, you know, just sketching, get up and getting up and walking and stuff like that. Um the one that I wanted to hone in on, it was um um something like um was am I talking about the right the right post? Yeah. You know, uh-huh. I, Brian. Um, it was something about fall back in love with the topic. Um I might not you guys know whether I'm talking about the right post or not. Um I don't think I did that one, but it's a great idea. Um There was something about, you know, like reconnecting with, no, this is a, I'll I'll find the correct post and link it up. I really did like the five proven strategies to improve creativity, but there was another um, one that I was looking at that was um, um, about, you know, refocusing on the learner, like we were just talking about, falling back in love with the topic, finding that subject matter expert who's really passionate, um, you know the one who you're supposed to be connecting with or not um and um i think actually i saw uh, michael allen talk when he was talking about that and that like if you find that one person who's really in love with antique spoons it'll only take half an hour or so and you will be in (laughs) love with antique spoons and want to you know have the same passion for the topic because passion is is contagious whatever anyway um, i totally understand that i completely agree yep Um, but so it wasn't the most recent one, but it, I searching through your blog, I got, I reconnected with the message that I needed today. And I thought you would like that.
2: Yeah. I can't even remember what, I, there are 180 articles. I can't even remember what I've written half the time, but just think of the teachers that you had. They always said that, you know, if a teacher is, it couldn't be any topic. If a teacher's passionate about it, you will eventually like it. And, I mean, instructional designers have to be the types of people that are interested in you know what bores most people. Like, I mean, I did a course once on you know how to install mufflers for Speedy Muffler, you know, and I found it fascinating. You know, I don't think too many people, other people, would if they weren't an instructional designer.
0: Yeah, that's true. I think it's the idea they're the what they're passionate about is the idea of teaching somebody something new or something better. Mm-hmm. How to how to get that information? I mean, you know. They're also always learning, I think, a, a good, true instructional designer.
2: Yeah, how can you not? I, I think the whole thing about love, loving the topic and loving your audience, I really think, I know this is going to sound so flower childy, but I really think that instructor design really is about love. You, you're serving your audience, you're loving them, and you're trying to give them the best you can. And sure, I'm in situations too where I'm not happy with what I'm giving them, but it was the best I could do within the constraints that I did it.
0: Right. And I think that, uh, I I don't think that that's that far-fetched for a, you know, true instructional designer. I think the problem that, that we have is we have a lot of non, you know, true instructional designers that are churning out content that don't have that passion to really learn something new and teach somebody. And that's a problem.
1: You're so angry, Brian. I'm not angry.
0: I'm, Hey, I'm trying to, you know, this is, this is just reality. And I'm just saying that, that I think that if more people cared, Mm. you know, it comes back to giving a shit, right? If more people cared then they would, that the entire, we wouldn't put up with the crap that we have and, um, more people would be doing better things.
2: Well, you know, uh, Tom Coleman and I, at one of the conferences, were talking about how everyone has the right to be where they're at. Sure. And most likely, you know, they'll they'll grow from that point on because, like, we were all absolute beginners, too, and didn't know, you know, which way was up. And then slowly, you know, you start to expand your Horizons a little and learn, and I think all we can do is have compassion for people who uh, you know are feeling lost in this in this field they're feeling lost, and we just just try to help them out and and have, you know they everyone is where i don't know
1: it sounds so flower childy everyone is just where they're at
0: well i I, I, I do agree with that to some extent, but i i will
1: Industry that what's important is that they know how to use Captivate and and Addy,
0: you know. So so. <laughs> so let's put a
1: little industry hate in there too. To be fair, this wouldn't be an episode of the toolbar if we didn't do
0: it. <laughs> so who, you guys who
2: forgot to take your positive pills.
0: So wait wait wait. So here's the who who was it that wanted more uh, more drama on the show? I, I can't Steve. Steve Steve. Um. So. I, I I agree that everybody's where they're at to some extent, but here's the deal: I I also disagree because to for this there's a chunk of people and it's a pretty large portion that really don't care. They fell into some role. They don't care. They're not growing because they don't want to. They don't need to. They can. They have articulate. They have captivate. They can just keep churning out you know churning out shit and then um, you know, meet their quotas and take a court, you know, get a course out every six weeks. And they don't care. They don't they're not interested in growing. They're not interested in learning. And I think that's actually a growing percentage of the I, I guess instructional design position in the industry is what I would argue. And that that I see as a huge Issue moving forward. Why, why do you think
1: that? Th- why do you think that, it, that that that's growing? That that percentage, the percentage of the accidental and uncaring,
0: is growing. One is because people that are good instructional designers that do care have either moved on because they they hit their their limit because they're not allowed to do things. They're not allowed to be creative. They're not allowed to actually solve problems. So they become something else, whether it be a performance consultant or a independent consultant or a solutions architect or whatever you want to call it, they move on. They become something where they actually have the ability to solve problems and be creative in that, in that effort. And then, um, you have people that become accidental instructional designers. And some of those are people that were teachers or that were, um, you know, tech geeks like myself that just wanted to teach people how to use stuff and how to do stuff better. And they, you know, they are in that position and they, they still care. So they get into it and they do that. And there's, so there's a chunk that's actually a positive, right? But then you have other bunch of people that are subject matter experts or that are this that that move into an instructional design position or like a tech writer that gets put into an instructional design position and then they're taught or they're like given a tutorial on how to be an instructional designer. But why do you
2: care about that? Why do you care about them? So what? Why do I
0: care about them?
2: Yeah, I mean, if if people like that are out there, they're just there. Why don't we just focus on all the people, all the – Wonderful people who care, and the (laughs) the people who are trying to expand their horizons.
0: So I think we can focus on them, but I think that we can also do. There's an effort that needs to be, had you know, somebody needs to put forth some effort to eliminate the others. I really do because they're churning out, they're making, you know, the freaking like PowerPoint to Flash conversion tools a ton of money because they don't care. And, there, you know, if, if in a perfect world, something like, uh, I don't even remember the name of it, Judy, help me out with uh, 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 Trevantis' crap Flash to PowerPoint thing. Or PowerPoint to Flash thing, what was it called? Hey. Oh, Judy, Judy I fell just, off. Hang on.
1: Yeah. Oh, I can't believe you didn't know. I just fell off. That was like two minutes. left. <laughs> I ranting. saw the bubbles.
0: So, um, so Judy, what was the Travantis to the PowerPoint to Flash tool that they came out with? Snap, snap. Thank you. So, the reason <laughs> Snap has a massive market is because there's a lot of people that that's all they care about doing. So there's a there's a big enough of a group of those types of individuals that need to be either educated and taught how to care, or like why they should care, why it's important. Which I think that there's a. a, a, a Chance that that can happen with a good good percentage of them, and then Judy, the rest of Judy, I was them adding to some to drama here, so I eliminated. asked
2: Brian why he cared so much about the people who didn't
1: care. <laughs> Ooh, good question. I, I because, because I just feel good like drama. He, that's for you, Steve. <laughs> so the reason I care
0: is because the at the at the end. This is oh, I hate when I say this, but at the end of the day, the. Here we. Go. The, you know, the people that have to take this stuff that are that are tasked with, you know, the users that we all care about, are put in a bad position because of these other people that don't. Okay, play. I understand. So, there is
2: nothing you can do about it. So I say pick your bad. No,
0: see, I think there is something we can do about it. I think by by pushing, uh, you know, against them and, and calling them out and continuing to push back against crappy products that that market to those people. That we can at least make a small dent in that crap heap that seems to be growing, in my opinion. And if it's growing, if we can at least, you know, just cut it so that it doesn't grow anymore, I'd be happy with that.
1: You know, I think that there is something to, um, I I don't even remember now which conference it was at the end of, but I I found myself quoting this on the internet a few times this week, actually. Um, Ellen Wagner said uh, something like, she was a closing keynote, closing session um, on something. And uh, she said, don't let people do bad e-learning to you. Um, And it was just, I think that part of of that was about sort of self-preservation for our field. Um, although I'm not sure that there's, you know, we, we talk a lot about courses and, and why they're good, why they're bad. Um, maybe there isn't a whole lot that really needs to be saved. Um, but I think that, um, if, if, um, we at least don't want them to die out of us doing them poorly, you know, out of. Um, mediocrity of the field You know what I'm saying Maybe we want them to, to die for other reasons But um, yeah I, I mean I, I think that that is And that that is a point But you know the point about the users Is also the point But it, it, it is also a great point But like I don't know. Maybe I'm just drunk tonight. I'm not in the mood for getting getting upset about it. Maybe it's because Connie's here. <laughs> yeah, so positive. So I'm, I'm
0: good with both. So the, the, from the positive side, I do see a lot of great things out there, right? So I, I right. Um, there are a lot of people doing some really great things. There's a like you know the fact that Connie wants to coach uh, instructional designers and help them do it right and help them do it better. And there's people that are doing things that, you know, like workshops that trying to help people do it better. So I, I'm out there doing the same thing and I, I want people to, to do it better. And I have, there's a lot of people, um, that we've had on the show. There's a lot of people that we want to have on the show. There's a lot of people that we've linked up and all that stuff that are doing awesome stuff. And I'm, but the people that we would never dare even dream of asking. People. But but I don't <laughs> so think So let's
2: talk about ways that people can get
1: inspired because so, you know So yeah, maybe
0: that's Go ahead. No, that, I think you're right. I think how how No,
1: we need to yeah, never mind. This is a <laughs> con- this is a conversation we need to continue with some other people as well, but let's talk about that right now. So so yes, how do you get inspired about,
0: if you're if you're awesome. not a Let's say you. you, Let's say I'm somebody that is you know fallen into some kind of instructional design role or trainer role or whatever developer role, and I don't really give a shit. What 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 are you gonna feed me? That I'm
2: probably not. But let's talk about people who really do care. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, you know, but also think it's important for people to know that sometimes, like I've been, I'm in situations sometimes as a contractor or consultant where you know I'm not thrilled with what I've done. Uh, So like we all. And everyone on the show says that. <laughs> right. So it's it's just important for everyone to know that we can be out there talking at one level, but you know we don't always get to implement what we want.
0: No, I get that too. But I think you're you. It's not for lack of trying or lack of <laughs> wanting to do it that way. <laughs> that See, that's the amazing. thing. Yeah. You still cared. You wanted to do it yeah. a certain way. You just had constraints, right?
2: Yeah, and you feel horrible afterwards. You go, right. "Oh my god." You're guess. like, "I can't
0: believe I did that project and I never want anybody to see it." And I never want anybody <laughs> exactly. to know about it. Yeah, I've done websites, Shower, websites, websites like that, I've done projects like that.
1: <laughs> <I'm> just <kidding. laughs> that's just me. <laughs> 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 so, Be yourself. So, so you talk just about like inspiring
0: people. What I'm what I'm curious, how do you inspire somebody that doesn't care?
2: Uh, I think that's within them. I I I don't know if you can, but I mean, I probably I mean, what about the people? Who, what about the rest of the, all the people who do care and and feel like they're a blank slate? You know, okay, you, Let's you, focus you have to come up first. with something, and you you're just right. feel like, oh my god, like there's nothing there. You know,
1: I, I think that seeing examples of really good stuff is one yep. of the best that you can possibly have. I mentioned Kat Moore's blog and the e-learning samples collection out there. And I think that, I think that Connie, you might have linked to another one at some point as well that was good. Um, but, or it might've been Kat, I'm not sure, but um, Kathy Moore's blog. Um, but That is one of, I mean, I think that when I was first starting out, I felt to some degree that that was kind of cheating. Now I totally, I see it in everything. I see it when I go to the museum. I'm always looking at the ways that information is communicated and particularly to teach or to inspire people to learn Um, because that's more and more how I'm sort of seeing what we do is not so much actually teaching, but inspiring the learning to happen. That so, so, so Connie. So, please don't feel like you're a flower. You, you can't outflower child me tonight. So, um, it's all it's all good. Um, <laughs> but, um, oh shoot. With that. Um, um, oh yeah, examples, um, samples of work. I, I think it's one of the, the the best things. And this is kind of a a thing I've almost gotten into this last week on the internet. Um, all of the people that we really sort of look up to. And we think they're really good instructional designers and, and whatever. It's mostly about their blogging, their speaking, whatever. We don't have a very strong culture of showing your work.
2: Some of it is because so much is proprietary.
1: Absolutely. No, no, that is absolutely, absolutely the case. Um, No question about it. Um, But one of the things, especially when I was, I've never been a huge, like, articulate community person. I mean, I've been an articulate user for sure, um, but never gotten into the community a lot. But more so when I was doing storyline, more so when I was like beta testing storyline. But one of the things I really saw as a strength there is that people were sharing what they did and. And the company um, encouraged that, of course, obviously. Um, and um, th- that it just, you know, maybe even if you disagreed with the fundamental nature of what they were sharing, you um, you know anti-course sentiment. Um, the the fact that they were sharing, I think, was a a good thing. It's one of the things that I actually like about Tom Coleman's blog. Um, one of the things I like most about Tom Coleman's blog is that he occasionally does share those samples. But I think that it's just a really powerful um, kind of it, it's it's part of part of us establishing a common vocabulary, you know, about what we do because mm-hmm. we can you know talk about things and say, okay, well, this is a this is a simulation, this is a scenario, you know whatever. I want to do it like that Afghanistan course, but, but with this, with this kind of twist on it, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and I I don't know, I've just found it to be powerful in a lot of ways. Oh, Oh, but going back to the, the people who, um, Oh, the people who we really look up to. Um, I think that I don't consider you a good designer until I've actually seen what you've done. I consider you a good writer, a good thinker, a good presenter. Um, but other than that, you know, and I can agree with everything and, and say that you've inspired me to do better things. But I think that we need to establish a stronger culture of that to the extent that we can. And, and and absolutely granted that we can't always, you know, a lot of it's proprietary. But I think that we need to look for more opportunities, too. Yeah, that's great. And I think that's the first place. By the way, it
2: says restarting calls. Brian's still there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. <laughs> um, it's just I melting. Think- <laughs> When is she gonna stop?
0: Gotta, gotta love Skype.
2: <laughs> I think inspiration is uh, is inspiration from examples probably comes first. You know, because even people who quote don't you know might not care so much um, might get inspired by that. And then after that, like you were saying, just well, I have like probably fifty visual design books. Those really inspire me when I'm trying to come up with a visual design. You know, it, it could be print. It could be you know anything a comic book anything but then also um, as you were saying just seeing how other people are displaying information and presenting information all over the internet and posters everywhere I wrote a post recently where um, I, I saw some one of those really stupid infomercials and got you know said oh yeah that I can use you know I can use that approach you know for like something. So it's 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 really amazing once you have your mind set on that, you start seeing the world in that way. How how are other people communicating visually or information-wise? So I think those are some of the ways you get inspired.
0: So I think one one thing I would I would suggest to people that do have that maybe do want to share their creativity and they how they've how they've done things but are locked by proprietary stuff or they're in a corporate environment they can't share any even they can't even share a screenshot is at least write the story about you know how you solved a problem or what the what the issue was and how you went about designing the solution um, because even that if if you if you write a little blog post about it or tell me a little story about how you solved a problem with some, you know, by designing this training or this support tool or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's huge to me because that's actually telling me a, you know, here was the problem. Here's what I, here's the process I went through to design the solution. And here's what the results were. Um, if you can tell me any one piece of that and all of it, if would be perfect, but you know, sometimes you're locked by some of that stuff as well. Um, but that you know that's some way you can communicate how you've done things in your process and i think that that's inspiring as well as how you went about it not just the what the what the end result was
2: that's a that's a really good point because you know you find books like that in other fields mm-hmm. um in uh, user experience user interface interactivity You'll see all these whole books that are case study books and certainly in visual design, entire books of what the problem was and, and how they solved it. Mm-hmm. And some have v- very involved interviews. So that's really, that's really true. That would be great.
1: Like we're verging on the design patterns discussion again. Exactly. Give <laughs> exactly. right. that yet another shout out on the show. Um, that, that kind of, I'm sorry, did you want to go somewhere, Brian? No. I've having a tangent go, but go for okay. It. Go for it. Um it kind of it also touches on something that that um Connie and I were talking about which is one of my passions lately which is discovering how design is done in other fields of design. You know, in in architecture and graphic design, web design, service design, whatever. Um and I I would love for you to um mention or send us uh, a book or two of those kinds of things that we can link up. Um, and uh, you know, kind of give people an idea of what that would look like.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, one thing I want to say in, in design classes and, and even in fine arts classes, a lot of what they do, they throw away. And mm-hmm. so that, that's one thing that people might not think about that much. But like, you know, you're asked to, uh, you're designing a logo. You're asked to come up with three or four logos to sketch it out first. And then you take one of those and you know implement it on the computer, yeah. but there's so many things or, or in a fine arts class where they give you two minutes to draw the the model at the front of the room, just two minutes just to get used to like doing things, throwing it out, working quickly, coming up with generating ideas, and then you don't even use them and
1: I wonder how often in our field you know we have the opportunity to do that to I just- guess just- strong sense that people don't, they feel like they're working under too much time pressure mm-hmm. to throw away work or to, to spend time coming up with a bunch of different ideas, or maybe even going the first steps down the road with a, two, three of their ideas. Um, and then picking the one that turns out to be the strongest. Um, yeah, that's my strong sense.
2: Well, that's why, well, first of all, it, it probably saves time because like sometimes I won't do something like that and I'll be like, a third of the way into into it, and I'll go like, this sucks. This yeah. is not even interesting. Why didn't I do you know do it the right way? But that's why so many people are in. I mean, that's why a lot of people like the idea of prototyping first. Mm-hmm. So you get a look and feel, you get some interactions down, you know, in, in some tool. You know, you've sketched it out that then you maybe implemented a, just, just part way through and it will really give you a sense and will give the client or the stakeholder a sense of, yes, this can work. You know, you try it out on your user. So,
1: you know, prototyping with very small prototypes, I think, is uh, another good approach. I'm a big fan of prototyping. And to me, all of these things are, those are the design process that Mm -hmm. if you're skipping those things and you're going straight to the tool, like you said, you are going to waste a lot of time because you're designing in your development process and that is less efficient. Um, But I also think less effective, you know, it's... It is less effective. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: it's absolutely less effective. And then you have to go back and your, whatever edits you make whatever edits you're making later to try to fix the crappy design that you ended up with because you didn't really go through a design process are stuck within the tool that you've already started because you can only, you only have time to make edits. You don't have time to re- redo the right. whole thing.
2: Right. And then, and then, then there are times when I, I'll come up with an idea that I think is, you know, pretty decent. And my client will just say, no. No, that's too, that's too outlandish. No, the people will distract them. The people on the screen will distract, you know, so there's nothing you can do about it then. Yeah. So.
1: There's another one of those art versus design things. (laughs) Yeah. I guess, I guess artists sometimes do work for commissions and such like, you know, but yeah. Um. At DevLearn last year, I think it was DevLearn, um, I participated in a um, sort of great ID challenge panel where me and uh, a couple of other designers um, actually took a prompt and did, you know, presented what our ideas, you know, what we would create. We didn't create the whole thing. Uh-huh. Um, it was really a lot of fun. Um, and we wanted, they were asked to focus on the creative aspects, you know, what did you, you know, use for, um, you know, how focus on the process, tell people how you went through the process and what you, what you came up with. Um, and I, I probably did that part of it more than other people did. Cause I was just kind of in love with that idea and like ha- wanting someone to have done that for me really wanting mm. to give the, the the audience, the participants, that side of the story. Um, I totally forgot where I was going with this. Um, do, 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 do. What were we talking about before?
2: I don't know. I wasn't here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what were we talking about when Connie wasn't here? Connie said way um,
0: too much water. <laughs> I, totally. Remember.
1: Connie is totally the problem here. Um, but – um, oh, oh! Somebody, what I did, like I showed, um, and and actually I advocate doing this, um, especially when you're like trying to land a big account or you're, you're first working with um, a client. I've found personally a lot of value in doing this, coming up with different design options mm-hmm. and. You know, letting them, you know, talking about the pros and cons, um, doing a lot of prototyping and things like that. And one of the people in the audience said, I would never do this much work up front mm um like this is way too much and and what I did was pretty rough um mm-hmm. you know but it was it was enough for them to get a taste of what I could do the look and the feel or not not the look really but the feel the interaction or whatever what I wanted yeah, to concept, to uh, right. come across yeah exactly the concept mm-hmm. um, and I just I didn't really have a lot to say to him other than I'll have your client then I mean <laughs> I just i was like i'm sorry that's too much of an investment but um not only well if you're trying to get a big client this is what can distinguish you but then also it's hard to describe e-learning it's hard to describe what the solution is going to be like i find value in showing them that up front oh you know? yeah and uh, I'm rather am just than
2: getting to the first build and, i keep meaning and, to write an article about that yeah yeah i made a Big mistake fairly recently where I didn't, I was being lazy and I did, or <clears throat> I was busy and I didn't, um, I, I didn't give them the prototype they needed. And then, like, halfway into the process, when they finally saw it, it was three doctors and they didn't know what I was talking about. When they finally saw it, they went, Oh, that's what you mean. And I went, Oh, well, I should have
1: prototyped like- it. <laughs> it like, totally lucky. I mean, talented. Um, <laughs> because it sounds like like at least it was a positive, "Oh, I definitely have had the other reaction that so, was like, "Oh, this wasn't really all that we had.
2: <laughs> I'm sure I've had that too <laughs> um,
0: Well, and I think that you know one of the things to remember about the idea of prototyping and rapid prototyping is that it it it's the two two sides: one, don't get stuck nitpicking it." because it is just a prototype mm-hmm. um, and two, make sure you're able to communicate to your client what a prototype is because, because if, if they see something and they get stuck on, you know, why is that a black, you know, a, just a, just a black icon there. And that, that's all they're going to think about. They're not even thinking about the actual interaction. They're not thinking about the content. They're not thinking about the overall design, nothing. They're just stuck on this fact that this is a shadow icon instead of an actual person. Right right, um, right so you've got to be able to communicate that effectively as well
1: yeah and and I find that the um, um that just doing it in a really sketchy looking way is often communicates that um what did Diane elkins um used to say this in a really good way that I won't be able to reproduce, but basically um she would tell me to not um not make it look more finished than the idea was, you know, mm-hmm. the, that's good. Yeah, that's good. That is the, good. Right. But like a, a sketch is a sketch because the idea is only partially formed, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Um, so we're going to, when we present a prototype a wireframe or whatever, it doesn't look like a finished product. So they um, know. The look, exactly. The look communicates its level of doneness.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so that brings us to maybe the final quick topic, which is um, kind of a misconception. That, you know, why why will someone think that something is creative? What, you know, what is creative, and will they like it? You know, what does it involve? And I just think that that's a, there's a big misconception going around about that. Because again, back to people thinking that they're not creative, because really it's just it's almost always going to be a synthesis. Of ideas that already exist, so it's perfectly okay if you see something in the uh, storyline demos and you <laughs> like it, take it, use it. You know, it's okay. Yeah. You'll add your own voice, your own, you know, look and feel. It, it, it's the You'll synthesis of ideas that makes it creative. It's, it's it's not like nobody's coming up with something entirely
1: new, yeah. right? Yeah, it's important to
2: people can know you can be creative it doesn't have to be 100 percent original
1: and you'll further the field in the process you'll further the work in the process
0: yeah and i think if you can follow that up with how you took that idea or that original concept and then did something else with it as long as you contribute that story back then that that's really furthering the field you know doing some great because then i can say oh that you took that in a totally different direction but i learned from you as well
2: Right, because it's always going to be different. Because you're going to have unique content, unique graphics. You know, but maybe you like the way they branch their scenario or something. Well, take it, use it.
1: You know? right. Yeah, right, totally.
0: Leverage the uh, the community a bit, right? Right on. Well, uh, I'm out of beer.
2: I'm, I'm I, almost I, out of water. I
0: heard Connie was out of water. Yeah, <laughs> but but Connie, I do want to. I do want to. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> Uh, you had an okay time this evening, but I do want to follow up with you and have you back on the show because I really want to talk to you about QC and like user testing and some other stuff as well. So maybe we can hey, have, Brian,
1: a... that's what you get when you don't
0: participate. In hey, I know, I know I, I, I was, you don't I was at the bottom of the document and that's where <laughs> we ended up. That's fine. I'm good with that. But, but hopefully we can have you back on and, uh, and talk a little more about that uh, on a future show.
2: OK, unless you find a, a real expert in it <laughs>
1: before then, this has been a great conversation. Um, I would absolutely second that but we would love to have you back on again. I would love it. I, I don't know what I'll drink next time. that everyone will be on the edge of their seats. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, thanks a lot. It was fun.
0: Cool. Thank you, Connie..
1: So- Shall we do some shoutouts? By the way, Jason Early's podcast launched today. Designing oh, yes.
0: opinion. Did, have you listened to that yet, Connor? I
1: did. No. Oh, um, what's it called? <laughs>
0: it's called Designing Opinion. I think you will dig it. I think. Oh, you, nice. Yeah. And Great. it's gonna be. Uh, it's gonna be. In fact, Jason might want to have you on the show, on his show, because he it's he just wants to have conversations about design, and it's it's really cool. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes.
2: That's great. There's one that I listen to called Design Matters, so I am really looking forward to hearing his too.
0: We'll check it out. Yeah, that that thing launched today and somehow broke <laughs> broke the 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 network. So
1: there you have it.